I think every Christian wants to serve the Lord. A lot of times, though, we feel like we're not qualified, like other people can serve God, but not me, not with my history, not with my shortcomings. That's something I want to talk about this morning, because the fact is, if you are a believer, God has a ministry for you. There's a calling on your life. There truly is. And what holds you back very likely is the idea that you minister out of your strength when in fact you minister out of your weakness. You don't minister out of your triumphs, but out of your defeats. Not out of your successes, but your failures. Not out of your health, but out of your brokenness. Provided, of course, that your brokenness and your failures and your defeats and your weaknesses have been touched by the grace of God because it's out of the grace we receive in those lowly places, those places of discouragement. It's that grace that enables us to share with other people, that gives us special authority when, when reaching out to other people. The one thing we know, if we know nothing else, is what God has given us to get us through the dark times. So has God called you? Yes, God's called you, but he's called you almost certainly in that very place you would think God would never call you in that place where you are weakest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes some remarkable words here. Starting in verse 3, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that, so that, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also in our comfort, our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now, in the first place, Paul's talking about his own experiences of suffering as an apostle of Christ. When he was known as Saul, traveling on the way to Damascus, God interrupted his travels. Jesus spoke to him from heaven. Paul was instantly struck blind. And it wasn't until a Christian named Ananias was sent by God and laid hands on him and prayed for him that he recovered his sight. But Ananias didn't want to go to Saul, not at first, because Saul was threatening the church. He was arresting people. He was a persecutor. And so he said, Lord, I, I know who this man is. I know what he is coming to Damascus to do. How can you send me to him? And the Lord said, he's my chosen instrument, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Being an instrument in suffering, it goes together. And so 
God showed him what he would have to suffer. And we know from the New Testament, he suffered humiliations of many different kinds. And he suffered physically. He, he suffered in his own heart and mind, worry for the church, anger over the slander to which he was often subjected. There are so many things that Paul suffered, and he's thinking especially of those things here because he knows that, that Christ had comforted him, and out of what he had received from Christ, he could minister to other people. But it's not just those apostolic sufferings that this passage speaks to, because you notice in the very beginning, he says that God comforts us in all our troubles. Not just the noble troubles, the ones where we're serving Christ and we pay a price for it, but all our troubles. In Greek, phlipsis, it means, well, it, it, it means affliction, but the basic idea is pressure. Pressure without that seeks to, to bear down on you and break you but also pressure within that oppresses, oppresses your spirit and makes it so difficult just to go on day by day. And so God comforts us, says Paul, in all our troubles. The word comfort there, paraklesis, it, it means comfort, consolation, but it's a word that's often used for exhortation being challenged to do better. You might translate it encouragement, E-N hyphen, encouragement. God breathes courage into us. The translation comfort's fine so long as we remember that comfort comes from the Latin, which means to give great strength. So in the midst of our troubles, by God's Spirit, we receive strength Comfort, yes. Consolation, yes. But challenge also that enables us to keep going when we want to give out. Whatever that trouble might be. It could be, it could be a great loss that, that weighs on us, makes it difficult to even think, to even, to even function day by day. It might also be our great sin, that, that we have asked forgiveness for, and yet we struggle with it still, perhaps. Or perhaps we've defeated it. That's not the point. The point is, there are lots of troubles that we have. And the Lord ministers to us in those troubles that enable us then to minister to other people. God has called us. He called Paul and said, I have to show him how much he, he'll suffer for my name. And God calls us and uses us precisely in those areas where we would think, I can't, I can't serve God. Not here. Because this is something I struggle with myself. That's the way of God. Last week, it was wonderful to see uh, Darren and Becky Frame in church. Many of you know Darren and Becky. They're members here at First Woodway for a long time. 
but they actually had two homes, one in Arizona, one here in Waco. During the school year, they would be in Waco because Darren was teaching at the business college at Baylor. At other times, they'd be back home in Arizona where Darren had a business, a a thriving business. And so they would move back and forth to each place. It was good to see them, and, and on Monday, I had a chance to share coffee with Darren and just catch up and to learn more about, about what was going on in their lives. And, and he shared with me a book that he had written. I've read about half of it since then, and it is a very, very fine book, but it's called Why God? Brave Questions That Need Answers After Suffering and loss. This book was a long time in the making. It took him a year to write it, but it took him searing years to be ready to write it. Because as some of you know, but not everyone, Darren and Becky lost their son, Jared, in 2016. It was just a tragic accident. Jared was 20 years old, full of life, athlete, student at Baylor, lots of friends, loved the Lord. He was on his mountain bike. He fell. He had some injuries, but they didn't seem to be serious. But a short time after that, he started having flu-like symptoms. The doctors thought, well, there's some kind of virus here. But he kept getting worse. Eventually, he's admitted to the hospital. There were blood clots. There was a series of strokes. It looked like they would lose him. Darren and Becky called on people to pray. And people in Arizona, people back in Waco prayed. And and Jared began to rally. And And then he started losing his grip on this life. And they had to let him go. What a... What a time. I first sat down and talked with Darren November 29th, 2017. We're in Olive Garden (laughs) having lunch. He had lots of questions. You know, this book, Brave Questions That Need Answerings After Suffering and Loss. He had those questions. He was asking me. I have never ever had a conversation where I left feeling more overmatched by the questions than I did then. He had lots of questions. I had no answers. No answers. The only thing I could really say is the questions are fair ones. He wanted to know, you know, what about this, God? Why why the waste? These years that Jared had and he could serve you. He was serving you. Why, why take his life when he's so young? And do you answer prayer? It seemed like you were, and then suddenly the rug is pulled out from under us. Do you answer prayer? Do miracles happen? I've heard of miracles, but if ever there were a time for a miracle, wouldn't it be this time? So many questions. And as Darren said at the time, he was just in a fog. It was just this constant pressure on his heart and mind, this oppression that he lived with. It was a struggle. Well, I've never known anyone who 
was more earnest to try to find answers. He wanted to just get his head around it, to somehow find some solace. And he read and he studied and he prayed and he talked with people trying to understand it. And, and over the weeks and over the months, God, God did bring comfort to Darren and Becky. Comfort in the sense of giving them strength to make it through those weeks and months and then years. I remember, in fact, in February 2019, just before COVID hit, we had another lunch. And it was clear he was in a different place because he had begun to, to work through some of these issues. And, and he had, in a sense, resolved some of the issues. Like, he, he said something to me then that, that I have repeated to so many people. I had never thought about it. And I, as soon as he said it, I knew it was true. He said, you know, what you want is an answer. You, you want to know why. Why God? And he said, what I realize now is if God told me why, that wouldn't be good enough. If God told me why, I would just argue with him why he couldn't do it some other way. Why wouldn't answer? I've lost my son. Why wouldn't fix it? But that was, that was, that was an insight that gave him some measure of peace. He, he had a place to stand. But it's been a process. It's been a process. So we sat down for coffee this last Monday. And it was remarkable talking to him. If, if you bring up Jared, and, you know, we talked some about Jared. I mean, his, his eyes tear up. I mean, Darren and Becky aren't over Jared. They'll never be over him. They don't want to be over him. Some of you have lost loved ones. You don't want to get over it. It's not a question of, of this, is, this is your loved one. You will love them forever, and you'll miss them forever. But the suffocating grief that makes it almost impossible to live, yes, you want to get past that. You need to get past that. And I could tell, I could tell Darren was past that. Not only that, he'd begun to start ministering. This book was part of that ministry. And he found that people started calling on him. In fact, some life groups here before they moved back had called on him to teach and to talk about suffering and loss. And Darren and Becky both can speak to it because they've endured it. And they can talk with a certain authority. Amy Carmichael, a spiritual writer, says that God never wastes suffering. And she says, you know, people who haven't suffered, when they speak to people who are suffering, it's so often their words lack power. They lack power, and I think there's some truth to that. I think someone who has suffered and has, has hung on to God through it all receives from God something they can share with others, and that's what we talked about. He was telling me about how many people have reached out to him, how many opportunities he's had to share and, and try to encourage people and had been able to encourage people, and I could see real joy as he would share that. God didn't take Jared 
so that Darren and Becky would have a ministry. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that for whatever reason God allowed it, God had given strength to help and enable the frames to endure so that out of what they had received from God, they could minister. You see the difference, right? There are lots of terrible things that happen that we don't want to say, oh, yes, God sent that so that. No, that's not what Paul says. It's not God sends you trouble so that you can minister to others. It says, in all our troubles, God comforts us so that we can pass on the comfort that we've received to others. That, that's what's going on here with Darren and Becky and how in their tragedy, they've been able to touch already so many people. And some of you, you're in precisely the same situation. You have a ministry from God that you're exercising because of what you've gone through. We have people who lead groups right now at our church. If you go to Grief Share, one of our care ministry groups, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find people who've lost loved ones, and it's led by people who've lost loved ones, who've gone through that agony and have, by the grace of God, been able to walk through it. Do they get over it? No, but they've learned something of God and they've gained something from God that they can pass on. If you go to the divorce care group, guess what you're going to find? People who've gone through divorce. They can relate to you in that. Ministry Porchlight for parents whose children are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And guess what you're going to find if you go to that group? You're going to find leaders and others who have been through that experience. See, in each case, this is a calling to ministry. There's been suffering and there's been the grace of God, and out of that grace, there's ministry. Have you ever thought of the trouble you've gone through or you're going through now as part of God's calling, as part of God's calling? Not not the trouble in itself, but the grace that he gives to enable you to overcome. Now, it's absolutely essential that we hold on to God. Paul says, we know that if you have the suffering, you're going to have the consolation. You're going to have the comfort. You're going to have the strength. God's going to give it. Well, that's if you hold on to God. But if you hold on to God through these difficult times, if you, if you walk with him through it, you may not come through it without scars, but you've got a ministry, a powerful ministry that you can share with other people. You've been there. You know what it's like. I, I, occasionally, I have, I have spoken to you about my brother. Occasionally, I'll mention it to different ones. Um, but not real often. And honestly, it's not something I really want to talk about a whole lot. And when I tell someone, if I use that word, if I use that word, it just, it introduces an awkwardness in the conversation. I mean, the word's murder. Usually I won't use the word because, because it's just, well, I don't have to tell you what you, you know, the word murder. 
When I came back after Dale was killed and I shared with the church, uh, a widow in the church, I'm not going to use her name because I didn't get permission to, to share her story. I did get the frame's permission, by the way. But I didn't get her permission. Um, but she came to talk with me just that next week. She set up an appointment. She came to see me. And she said, first thing, she said after sitting down, I know how you feel. Now, that's a dangerous thing to say to somebody, right? I know how you feel. Now, she had lost her husband, oh, two or three years before, and so I knew that she had gone through grief, and I don't know why. I just assumed she was talking about that. But she said, when I was 20, my sister was murdered. She did know. And it was something we could talk. We could talk in a way, couldn't talk. You can't talk with someone who's not part of this club that you never wanted to join. You know what I'm talking about? You go through something, maybe you've gone through a deep depression or a breakdown. You've lost somebody to a debilitating illness or some kind of tragedy. Um, you, You committed some sin and it's become a public scandal and now you're persona non grata wherever you go. I mean, whatever it is. You can't really talk with people who aren't in the club the same way you can talk with people who are there. Nobody wants to be in the club, but once you're there, there's a a bond. And that's how we're able to talk. She heard about my brother, and like her antenna was up. And she said, I want to go, I want to reach out, I want to help somehow. She had a ministry. I was in the office last week talking with the staff member, and uh, while we're talking, all of a sudden Siri starts speaking out of her telephone, or her watch, excuse me, starts speaking out of her watch. I don't know exactly what we said that set Siri off, but she started answering a question we didn't ask. (laughs) What it reminds you of is that always listening, (laughs) right? Always silent, but always on. In a way, we want to be like Siri, where we're sensitized to certain needs, certain problems, certain frailties, certain kinds of suffering, because we've made it through or we're in the process of making it through. We may not have it all worked out, I mean, you may struggle with depression, and you're not about to say that that the struggle's over, but you've learned a few things along the way of your suffering, right? You, You may be someone, you've struggled with addiction to whatever. You've struggled with addiction, and you've made some progress, and God's helped you to keep one foot in front of the other, and it's not easy, but he's helped you with that. He has comforted you. He has strengthened you. You're not about to say you're through it because you want to ever be on your guard. So it's not like, not like you can say, oh, well, yes, you know, I've overcome addiction. You feel much more vulnerable than that. But you know what? You know what? You've still received the grace of God. You've been touched by grace. So our antennas are sensitized to different things. Our ministry, our ministry is in part to 
use the grace God has given us to encourage other people. You may find it hard just to get around people. It is a challenge for you to come to church. And you've had to talk yourself into it. You've had to pray yourself into it. You don't feel comfortable. You feel awkward around everyone. Small talk, you don't know how to do it. And you've tried to learn, and you can't do it. And you feel foolish every time you try. But here you are at church because you're seeking to follow God. So here you are. You know, as hard as it is, you've received something of the grace of God, and you're not the only one with social anxiety. And you can, you can minister if you're open to the Holy Spirit to anyone who's experiencing that. It's a really important passage here that Paul gives us. I saw a study this last week. It's so interesting to me. <laughs> And I think it, it tells us something about the paradox of grace and how God's grace works in us, in our weakness, and then we're able to, out of that, what God has given us to minister, to help, to encourage other people, and in the process, get help ourselves. That's the paradox I'm talking about. This study was of, those, of some patients or some people who had multiple sclerosis. They're in varying stages. But one group of MS sufferers were sent to weekly sessions where they learned coping skills. Another group was sent to monthly sessions with someone else who had MS, and they could connect and talk about the troubles that they had and, and how they've been working to, to you know, manage it. So the two groups over a period of time had these two different treatment options. And actually, people improved in both of those groups. But what surprised the designers of the study was that those MS sufferers who had been trained to mentor the others, in other words, these, half the group was sent to someone to meet with them every month to be encouraged. Well, that person who's encouraging them was also an MS sufferer. They had been trained to try to encourage someone else. Those people improved far more than either of the other groups. They improved far more than those who were trained in coping skills and far more than those who sought out their counsel. There was something about using what they had and sharing what they had that meant everything to them. In fact, the, the, the head of the study, the one who designed it initially, he didn't hesitate to call it a spiritual transformation. He said these people who were dealing with this debilitating illness were encouraged, their self-esteem went up, their hope about life went up because they were, they were doing something useful and important. And in the same way, God has called you. God has called you. And as unworthy as you might feel because you've got various problems, actually, he gives you grace 
to make it through those problems so that you can then share that grace with someone else. Well, why doesn't he do it directly? Why does he have to work through other people? I don't know. That's one of those why questions. Even if he told me, I'd probably argue with him. I don't know why, except maybe for this. God wants to build community. And as we love one another, serve one another, help one another, bonds are formed and we become a loving community as God wants us to be. I want to ask you to pray with me now. And let's ask God to to lead us in a place of service. Ask God to help us to respond to his call to ministry. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would open our eyes to the opportunities before us, right where we live, just as we are. You have brought us through so much And even where we still struggle, Lord, we struggle looking to you, calling out to you, being strengthened day by day by you so that we can continue on the journey. And Lord, we thank you for your comfort, your strengthening, your encouragement. And Lord, may we be instruments of your grace. May we minister to other people. May we not hold back, but may we give. Use us as ministers, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.